Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom will the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, and they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If you could leave your Bibles open, we're going to have a look also at verses 1 to 11 uh, a little bit later on and some other segments there but first let me pray for us father again we come at the end of a day a day that's been full of different things for each of us a day where weariness is now starting to to creep in Uh, We do pray that you would grasp our attention, that that you would speak to our hearts, because we long to hear you this evening. So, Father, please come and be our teacher, for we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Verses 1 to 11. 
My dad's better than your dad. My dad's better than yours. Cause he's got a mobile phone, fully rechargeable, cordless shaver, remote control, garage door. My dad's better than yours. No! My dad's better than your dad. My dad's better than yours. Cause he's got a mobile phone, fully rechargeable, cordless shaver, remote control, garage door, seven in one fax machine, brand new ride on V8 mower. My dad's better than yours. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies to all who are listening and especially to Colin Buchanan. We love to compare ourselves. We love to compare ourselves with others in all sorts of ways. And of course, all dads have faults. Some have many faults, but are still able to love deeply. Others have many faults and can be brutal and abusive. Some fathers can't be trusted. Would it be possible to find the best father in the world? Would it be possible to find the best father in the world? Here are two great dads. It'll work better when I turn it on. This dad got a tattoo. So his daughter would have a cochlear implant. This dad has been in many marathons with his son. They refer to themselves as Team Hoyt. They have even been in the Hawaiian Marathon, the Hawaiian Ironman. So that involved swimming, cycling and running a marathon. They completed it. An amazing feat. These are great dads because they identify so closely with their children and their needs. But they still have faults and they are limited. Tonight we are going to go on to Isaiah 40, but first I want you to have a look at the end of Isaiah 39. In verses 5 to 8 there at the end of the chapter it says this, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. The Babylonian invasion came a lot sooner than Hezekiah expected. In chapter 40, Isaiah propels us ahead into a time when God himself will bring his people from exile. And here we see God's comfort, God's power, God's desire. This chapter again and again says, Here is your God, trust him. Here is your heavenly father, trust him. Well, in verses 1 to 11, we're introduced to God's comfort. 
It is a comfort spoken by God himself in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And it's a comfort that is to be shared among the people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Speak tenderly. Speak to the heart. This, is, this comfort is not a life of ease but a breathing of new life into a defeated and demoralized community. This comfort replenishes the heart and the soul. The exile is over, punishment is completed. The punishment is not double in terms of two for one. You've done one bad thing, so I'll give you two worse things in return. No, it's not like that. It's an exact matching of their sin, all of their sin, being covered and paid for. This is not a vindictive God. This doubling is like the folding of a sheet of paper in half. This comfort is God himself visiting his people, stepping into history to rescue and restore, and he does this in three spectacular and comforting ways. Firstly, he reveals his glory. We can take comfort because his glory is shown by making a highway, a path from exile to freedom, from exile to our true home. This path will be level ground, easily traversed. This path will be obvious to all. This will be for all the world to see in verses 3 to 5. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This has happened and this will happen for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Secondly, he keeps his word. We can take comfort because even though we are faithless at times, even though we are frail and buffeted, he is faithful. His word is unchanging and true. His promises never fail. Verses 6 to 8. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry out? All peoples are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. This has happened, this will happen, because the word of our God endures forever. And thirdly, he reveals himself. We can take comfort because he reveals himself as the sovereign Lord who comes with a mighty arm and and gentle arms. He reveals himself as the shepherd of the flock, 
who carries us close to his heart. Verses 9 to 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in those same mighty arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This has happened and continues to happen. You see, God doesn't merely send his blessings. Uh, God personally brings his blessings. Uh, Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful of what tomorrow has to bring. Jesus has done all that is needed so that you can move from this exile to our true home. He is making the path straight through these rugged places. God does not merely send his blessings, he personally brings them. Are you feeling buffeted? I've felt buffeted this week. Remember God's promises. His word endures forever. His living word, Jesus, was buffeted, beaten and scorned. But as promised, he crushed death. Our great enemy, death, could not hold him. God does not merely send his blessings, he personally brings them. Do you need strength beyond what you can muster? Do you need grace? Do you need consolation in loving arms? The Sovereign Lord, the Good Shepherd, Emmanuel, right now, whatever you need, is God with us. God with us, willing to bring his blessings to us. Here is your God. Trust him. Here is your Heavenly Father. Trust him. Despite all this, Isaiah's first readers were less than convinced. As God has predicted, they did not listen. They did not see. Their hearts grew callous. Does God really have the power to do this? Yes. Yes, yes, he does. His power is beyond all measure. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand has marked out the heavens who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance no one No one, yet his power is beyond measure. 
Verse 14, who taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? No one, no one, because his mental and moral capacity is beyond measure. Here is your God, trust him. For all the nations gathered together at best are nothing. Such is the magnitude of his being and his power. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and as less than nothing. Yes, they are totally insignificant in one respect. Yet he loves them. He continues to love them and he showed that by sending his son Jesus. How stupid were they? Weren't they just so stupid to be trusting in any man, any king or any nation? How could they trust in those for their deepest need? For love, for forgiveness, for acceptance, for freedom? How stupid were they? But what of us who know the perfect man, the perfect king, the one whose love is beyond all measure? Where do we put our trust day to day? Do we question God's power even though it's beyond all measure? About 40 years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a little book, Your God is Too Small, which reminds us that we are prone to settle for foolishness and that we so easily look to our own puny strengths and abilities. Their foolishness and ours is shown up even further because his power is beyond all comparison and all rivals. And we see that in verses 18 to 26. We've been told earlier on that their land was full of idols, that they made their own creations to worship, and their creations could not compare to God's. Similarly, our creations... The things that draw us to worship them cannot be compared. They do not compare to him who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. They do not compare to him who stretches out the heavens like a canopy. They do not compare to him who brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth, each one of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, no, not one of them is missing. Here is your God. Trust in him. Here is your strong, mighty, heavenly father. Trust in him. 
Despite all of this, it appears that they doubted that God had the will or the desire to rescue or to care. Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Does God really care? Yes, because of his enduring, fathomless faithfulness. He will not grow tired and weary. He will not grow tired and weary of doing his good will. He has the desire and the faithfulness, and our faithlessness will not diminish his desire. He will remain true to himself. He is the God who is love. He really does care. Does he really care? Yes, because of his grace. He gives what we need. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even when our resources are fully spent, he gives strength and power. Does God really care? Yes, because of his compassion. In verse 30, it is the young and the strong who who tire and stumble. Only God has limitless strength, which he shares with those who put their hope in him. So it is the weary and the weak who prevail. Because literally, literally what happens is God exchanges his power for their weakness. In the NIV it has, um, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's like we make some effort in, in this renewing, but the word there is exchange. God exchanges his power for our weakness. As God's people, our weakness constitutes our position of strength. Because our weakness drives us to put our trust in God's strength. Here is your God. Trust in him. Here is your heavenly father. Trust in him. What is holding us back from receiving God's comfort today? Do we doubt his power to be able to provide what we need? Do we doubt his desire to strengthen us or to carry us close to his heart? The death and resurrection of Jesus should dispel both those doubts. For in Jesus, God has dealt with our greatest burdens, sin and death. Like the best of all fathers, which he is, God has identified with us fully, totally, in his son Jesus. He knows what we need and is able to provide and willing to provide. This is complete identification where he exchanges his strength for our weakness, his purity for our sin, his faithfulness for our hard-heartedness, his grace 
for our desire to earn and deserve. Here is your God. Trust in him. So where does that leave us now? Apart from the instruction in verse 2 to to speak tenderly to each other's hearts, to speak of God's comfort, there is only one other thing that God asks people to do in this section. And we find that in verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Lift up your eyes from yourself to the heavens, to God. Lift up your eyes from your concerns, your problems, your heartaches to God. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes again, lift your eyes and keep on lifting your eyes. Fix them there. This is why this gathering each week, each Sunday is just so, so important and so, so significant. It's here that we speak tenderly of God's comfort to each other. But moreover, it's here that we take courage from one one another to lift our eyes to worship, to lift our eyes from our weakness, to the power and the glory of the cross and the empty tomb, to lift our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to lift our eyes and remember the new life he has given and will give. To lift our eyes to the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. It is here that together we lift our eyes and declare, here is our God. Here is your God. Yes, we need to lift our eyes daily with the help of Bible reading and prayer. But this It is part of our new identity as God's people, as his church, where together we declare to each other, lift our eyes to him. Here is your God. Here is your God. See the Lord, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm right here, right now. See His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Here is our God. Here is our God. Trust him. And keep on trusting him. Encourage me to trust him as I encourage you to trust him. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we are indeed weak. Uh, Please help us to acknowledge our weakness rather than relying on our own self-righteous attempts to look good. Father, please, in our weakness, help us to depend upon your strength, to know your love, to know your tender care, to know your comfort, 
and to know your strength. Father, we want to honour you. So please enable us this night and this week to lift our eyes to the heavens so that we might see your glory and declare your glory to all those around us. That we might look to Jesus and declare his glory, your glory, to all those around us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.